We're here with Antonio Centeno, founder of Real Man Real Style. Uh, Antonio, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here, Brock. So I know you've told your background, your story on other uh, interviews, other podcasts before, but just for people who don't know you, can you give us the cliff notes? Like, what were you doing before you started your business and why did you choose to make the transition to self-employment and building a business? Well, it all started on a planet named Krypton and uh, I was launched into space and <laughs> no, it didn't, it didn't start there, but uh, no, you know, for me, it, I fell into this space. I came in, uh, got a fancy degree, uh, MBA out of Texas. And I thought, I'm just going to get into the men's style space. I, I liked suits. I thought I would go in kind of more as a mercenary. I saw an opportunity. And when I mean mercenary, I mean the sense of, I just saw opportunity. I thought I could go in. I had met a custom tra a traveling custom clothier that told me he was making about uh, three to $400,000 a year, working six months out of the year. And he had a fourth grade education in India. And I was like, you know, if if I take my fancy degree and I go into this industry, it seems like it was just being run by a lot of people that I, I just didn't necessarily think saw the big picture. So my first company, a tailored suit, was what I tried to grow. And I realized very quickly, it's a very hard industry. And there were a lot of reasons that things were done a certain way. Uh, but, you know, I was able to, to make a go of it. It uh, ended up not surviving. And I ended up shutting down that business. But from the ashes, kind of like the Phoenix, I realized, you know, I'm pretty good at creating content and I'm pretty good at me, you know, even getting in front of a camera. I didn't mind giving presentations. Uh, I loved actually giving presentations to people. So I'm like, what if I turn this into, you know, because the one thing I did create out of a tailored suit was my marketing company, Real Men Real Style. And that was the reason that company existed is I couldn't afford to hire a legitimate marketing company. I said, I'll create my own and just have two jobs. And I found that I was pretty good at it. And the guy named Brett McKay reached out to me over at the Art of Manliness. He said, hey, you're a pretty good writer. Can you come write for me? But what Brett didn't know is I hated writing. And uh, I would write, but it wasn't something I really enjoyed or wanted to do. So uh, after I'd written, you know, probably close to 100 articles on men's style, I was pretty burnt out on that. We just started making video and the videos really took off. Now, the articles did fine. And Real Men Real Style was getting good traffic uh, as sense of a blog. But it was uh, going into YouTube that we really started to get noticed and get picked up. And now I've kind of created the entire Real Men Real Style brand. And my what separates me from a lot of the other guys out there is really we cover the basics and we do it on multiple platforms in a way that I never talk down to men. I always assume that, you know, they've got a great skill, maybe in computer programming or maybe they're really good. Maybe they, they, they're a scientist and they study how to purify water. So they're really smart in some way. But when it comes to clothing and style, they don't know anything. And in fact, they're maybe intimidated or they're turned off by fashion. And I try to make it relevant and I try to make it right-brained. So I use science and I have a background in evolutionary biology and I use my background as a former Marine um, to leverage military history. So I make it relevant, I make it acceptable, and I make it something that they actually enjoy starting to learn. And then boom, I you know, from a guy that used to hate style, now all of a sudden you've got a guy that's dressing better than anyone and he's getting compliments. He's getting people come up and ask him, how did you, you know, how do you put this all together? And at that point, he just points him right to my website. Nice. That's awesome. Well, was there like a conscious transition point where you were, because I, I know you started Real Man Real Style as a, like a content marketing platform for a tailored suit. 
was there was that a long transition or was there a point where you're like okay actually real men real style is more of a lucrative business or more what i want to do compared to the the tailoring business well i i think that you know the the point is you keep hitting your head up against the wall and you realize that you're making more money doing this than there were there were couple things but one is when I looked at my clothier and I mean we did really well one month I remember we did well over a hundred thousand uh, in sales but my expenses were over a hundred thousand in fact you know I'd lost ten thousand dollars that month and it was little things like that, that you're like I can't make that up in volume and this is not going to go well um, versus whenever I started doing my first promotion with Real Men Real Style, I had a company pay me $3,000 to talk about a pair of shoes. And I was just like, whoa. Um, and that didn't require much time or much effort. I enjoyed it. And they kept coming back for more. And, you know, you realize that I could put 10 hours into here and I'm making, you know, $10 or I could put 10 hours into here and I'm making $10,000. Um, and then it becomes pretty obvious the path you need to go down. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's the the margins on a digital media business are just totally different than the margins on like a physical product business. Yeah, and it's not like everyone sees success in you know those high margin industries. Kind of like with software, you'll have a lot more failures, and it's pretty easy to get out there and I mean sell one suit, and you can make money because uh, you can differentiate yourself. You can hustle harder. You can talk to more leads. Um, so they're, they're different businesses, but what you realize is sometimes it's easy to do something or it feels easier. Uh, and it's not easy for everyone. Like I said, you know, for me to be able to create content, to be able to talk about men's style in a way, um, that, you know, I, I enjoy what I talk about. I, I, I've done a lot of research on this and I can talk about it in a way that enough men find it interesting that I can build that audience and then turn that into a business. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so what you so you transitioned to real men real style and you were, you know, really one of the early, I'd say, you know, now there's so many blogs and YouTube channels, but you were one of the earlier adopters of um I guess the the website and YouTube format for teaching about men's style. Um you started to see a lot of traction, working with sponsors, you know, uh there's obviously a bunch of other revenue streams for uh, people to do what we do. And I know you've, you've explored all of them. So was there like any significant turning points in terms of like when you started to work with partners or like at the beginning where you focused on ad revenue or how did, how did the, um, I guess, backend financial part of it work at the beginning? Well, see, the first thing, there were, there were a number of aha moments, you know, there was a guy named Pat Flynn that introduced me to the idea of selling eBooks. And what blew me away is selling an eBook that literally cost, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a high ticket ebook. My first ebook was seventeen dollars, but I simply took information that was freely available on my website and I packaged it up and sold it. And I resisted this for a long time because I was thinking, you know, why I, I can't do this to people? That's like, I mean, I just really viewed it as not. And then I, you know, I I just thought that like, why would I something I give away for free? How could I package it up and sell it? And then I heard the example of bottled water, and I was like. You're exactly right. And then I thought, started thinking about when I went to college and how they would, you know, I could have bought the books or picked them up in the library for free, but I still went there to, because when you go to college, you actually get a certificate. You actually get access to the professor. You get access to the students and your peers. And I realized that education and teaching, like sometimes it's the convenience play. And that's, you know, somebody just wants this all brought into a PDF download 
And they also like the idea that they could email us, uh, maybe get some support or some help, or be able to answer a specific question and get kind of ushered to the front, like the VIP experience. So I sold that ebook initially for 17 bucks. Then I increased the price to 27, then 37, then 47. And then we went back, revamped it, turned it into a course. And to this day, I sell that course for $197 every single day. And, you know, it's amazing when, you know, those sales happen and you realize, wow, that's, I mean, it's not easy money, but it is because it's been built off of the back of, you know, a year's worth of work. But when it starts to work, you realize that there's many different ways to to monetize and to grow the business. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. I've heard people use the analogy of like athletes getting, uh, you know, paid a lot of money for a sponsorship, and it's like, or, or for, you know, say for one, like a boxer being paid, you know, fifty million dollars for one fight. They're not being paid for that two hours in the ring. They're they're being paid for that thirty years of hard work. You know, and it just happens to be culminating in that you know, that one experience. So, yeah. And the risk of the fact that only one out of a thousand or one out of, you know, 10,000 ever even get to that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not, and that, and that's kind of what you've done. You've built this basically encyclopedia online of, of men's style advice and lifestyle advice. And, you know, now you have options in terms of how you monetize it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it really just comes down to, you know, how can you find a way to provide value to, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, everyone freely gives me uh, the money to, to purchase any of our products, any of our advertising, any of our attend any of our events. And what people don't see is all the times that we fail, like nine out of 10 times, like I just had to close down uh, one website that we had started, uh, a question and answer website, I started probably like four years ago, five years ago. And I finally just shut it down, even though it was getting a little bit of traffic, it just wasn't worth the upkeep. It was getting, you know, filled with like, it was just getting penetrated by spam bots and stuff like that. And like crypto trading stuff. It was just like, kill this thing. Uh, but you know, it, no one really it talks about it. You know, they, they see the victories and, and people hear about the success. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to start like most things you'll try to try to do will not work out. And you just got to have the thick skin to keep moving on and realize that that failure doesn't define you. It just kind of lets you know that, OK, that path at this point in time doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it, so looking back now, I mean, if you had to start over or if you had to give advice to somebody just starting who wanted to be a content creator or, you know, an influencer, uh, what do you think like creating digital products is still a lucrative option? Do you think people should try to build a reputation online and work with sponsors? Like, do you have any, any advice or any pitfalls you might try to avoid if you had to do it again? If I had to do it again, immediately, I would say, go find a problem, a burning, bleeding neck problem and find out, you know, if the person you can solve it for has money and is willing to spend that money. That's it. You know, it's, I'm not going to tell you to go, you know, I, I, right. Everything changes and you can't like what I did in 2007, what I did in 2012 and what I'm doing in 2018 and making money. They're very different and things will change. It used to be, you know, blogs were huge. And then it became like there was a wave of, you know, the YouTube video, you know, has become huge. There was a time that, you know, Tumblr was huge. Um, and there there all are all these shifts. I get excited about seeing new things. I was just, you know, watching, and I like to watch what my kids are getting into. Uh, my daughters loved musically about a year and a half ago. And I remember just seeing this thing and thinking, this is going to be big. Sure enough, you know, that company got acquired. I don't know for like how many billions. Uh, and 
you see like what it is people are on. That's the, that's the way that you reach them. And then you figure out like what are, what's the problem that I can solve for them that they're willing to pay for? Because there's lots of problems that people have that no one's willing to pay for. And that's what I see a lot of people go down. They're like, they get passionate, excited about something, and then they realize no one's going to pay for this. And they put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort into it. Nope. You know, find out what that burning problem is. Don't worry about scale at this point, but find a way to solve that problem where literally people are throwing money at you to solve it. And then you know you've got something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Hey, one thing that seems to that, that you seem to be good at or have maybe learned to do is to basically outsource and, you know, empower other people to do things that either you don't want to do or maybe that they're better at and focus on the things that only you can do. And that that seems really hard. I'm most talking about myself here, but <laughs> that seems really hard to do, um, especially for like, you know, solopreneur types or entrepreneur types, because it's hard to let go of things. And obviously you have to have some money if you're going to pay somebody else to do something. So how, how did you, do you have any tips for that? Just kind of offloading some of the tasks and hiring people? Well, I would say that, you know, create a, create a list of things that you should not be doing things that are, and put in, so I put a thousand dollars an hour is what I rate my time at. Now I don't pay myself yet a thousand dollars an hour, but it's something that there are just things I don't do. And I will just, you know, Tim Ferriss, I think said it like, let little bad things happen. And, you know, just realize, okay, like they'll disappear. It's not that big of a deal, but, but identify the things that you're doing and, you know, that you just shouldn't be doing, you know, that, that are hundred dollar issues or $10 issues. And I don't know, it's hard to hand off those hundred dollar issues when you're barely paying yourself $10 an hour. Um, and I'm not saying do that net, but I think it was uh, in the book, was it the aunt, the, the E-Myth Revisited, which is a kind of a hard read and not the best one, but it does have one amazing point or has quite a few amazing points, but uh, yeah, I'm going hard on that book. It's a great book, but you know, that there was one part about create the organization chart before you have the organization and you lay out exactly where you envision things and be honest with yourself. Cause when you start a company and you're one person, you are the CEO, you are the president, but you're also the janitor and you're also the computer repair guy and you're also customer service. And so lay all that out there and then look at where are you spending all of your time? And you probably shouldn't because initially you've got to, you're probably not being the janitor much because I would rather answer, I wasn't like my office was, a, you know, or my home where I was doing the work was kind of a, well, it wasn't too bad. My wife was very nice and was coming in and helping me clean. But I just realized, okay, that was my hack is I kept it in my house because I could, couldn't afford an office. But I quickly identified that I was spending most of my time, you know, in customer, dealing with customers, customer service and engaging with them. I wasn't thinking too much about strategy. And you so see, you realize that you have a limited amount of time and you've got to focus in on initially your high value things, which for a lot of bootstrappers, because you don't have funding money, is to actually get those sales in. And then then deliver those sales so to keep the customer happy. But at a point, you start to actually make a little bit of money. After, you know, not everyone, some people will fail, uh, but they fail quickly and then move on. But at some point, hopefully you start making money. And then you start to say, you know what? I put somebody aside and say, it is worth me because I'm so, this, this thing is so painful. 
like me answering phone calls. It interrupts my day and, you know, selling people on this. I need to hire a salesperson. Salespeople are one of the best people you can hire initially because they could sell your product. And I, I tell you, Mary, you know, Terry and Brian Edelman over at Menfluential Media, it was one of the best moves me and Aaron Marino ever made because those guys are working hard and I write them huge checks, commission checks, but you know what? It doesn't matter because they sell me better than I could ever myself and they are amazing. And I just found that I did not like to sell my services. I don't like going back and forth. I don't like having to try to convince somebody why I'm worth a certain amount for advertising. And they came in and boom, solved that problem. I hated dealing with the tech issues. I remember one Christmas, this is back in 2008 or 2009, our website was hacked and it was Christmas morning. And what was I doing? Christmas morning, I'm dealing with a hacking issue and it just ruined Christmas for me. And I'm like, after that, I hired my, my tech guy, Yuri. And, uh, you know, me, I'd known Yuri for a while. He wasn't, he's not a trained tech guy, but he's smart. He's a music major. And I find certain people, especially people that studied music, actually can, can put together patterns, deal with complexity. And so he just, he's like, hey, you know, you pay me good and you're a nice guy and you're a friend. And sure, I'll do this work. And then it turned into now he's full time for me. And, you know, he's been with me for, gosh, I've known Yuri for 15 years, uh, but he's worked for me for a decade now. And because he came in and he solved that problem and he grew into the role. And I've actually got a list right now of like 10 frustrations. And I'm going to do a video of like what frustrates me and I'm paying bounties on people that could help me solve these problems. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I like that idea of just making a list of things that you, you shouldn't be doing and then just tackling them one by one. It's almost hard to prioritize that list. And it doesn't have to be an employee, you know. I know we've worked together because I didn't want to write something and I try, I'm like, you know, you're a good writer. I've got, you know, some extra money, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, yes, I'd like to keep it myself, but it's like, it's worth me paying you to do this writing and you already know, and I'll pay you this set amount for this project. So sometimes it's, you know, just project based, but uh, I do like to eventually hire people full time because I want 100% of their attention. And I find that part timers, like you can hire someone, you know, at, for 20 hours a week, but you only have 25% of their attention. Interesting. Okay. And, and have you hired usually people that you have met through other channels or, uh, you know, people uh, overseas or like how, how do you hire people? I reach out to my list. That's always a great, so reach out to your audience, reach out to people that follow you already. Uh, but we have, uh, we have gone through uh, different recruiting services, especially uh, I use uh, Chris uh, Duck, uh, Ducker's uh, virtual staff finder I've used over in the Philippines to uh, to find people. Um, I've hired, uh, I just ask people on my team if they know anyone great. Um, I've used, like I said, I've actually used like where I talk to a group of people and just say, hey, like this one's a little bit hard to find. I'm willing to pay a thousand dollars referral fee. If I end up hiring and they work for me for a month, I'll pay you a thousand dollars for referring them. And that gets a lot of people motivated because it's pretty easy money and all they have to do is check their Rolodex and make some great introductions. Yeah, that, that's a good tip. And, and how do you manage, because you have uh, virtual people, you have part-time people, full-time people, overseas people, different time zones. How do you manage all of that You know, versus the traditional setup of just having people in the office with you? Well, I tried two things traditional. I mean, there was a reason the traditional setup worked and that's because everyone sat down and was in and around each other and work almost had to get done or, you know, they'd find ways to not do the work. Uh, but what I do is, you know, one, I've, 
I have meetings. Uh, we have a Monday and a Wednesday full team meeting. Everyone, we're, no matter where you're at in the world, and again, I got Philippines, Ukraine, Canada, uh, Texas, uh, which is kind of a country in of itself, and you know, all, just all over the place. I've got El Salvador, I've got my people, and we meet virtually uh, for 15 minutes, twice a, twice a week, 15 minutes. And I keep the meeting short, and it's really that meeting is about big company direction, what we've got going on, and it's like where I'll let them know, like they all know I'm not working tomorrow. I got the, I'm taking family day. So, you know, it's like things I'll talk about that. And, or if, if I let go of somebody, I'll tell everyone why, why that happened and kind of explain it there. So they hear it from the horse's mouth. So that's only 30 minutes out of my work day. I keep those two meetings and everyone needs to be 100% attendance rate. Uh, next up, I've got like specific then meetings and I always keep my meetings short. Uh, I try to like keep them standing too. I like I try to actually stand during my meeting so it reminds me to end this thing quick. And I go in and uh, we've got a content team meeting. I've got my managers meetings and you know each of them 15 sometimes longer, sometimes 30 minutes. But uh, but I try to keep them I'd rather have a few more meetings and keep them shorter than have like big long meetings. And the way I look at it is they're like heartbeats and the the faster if you've got a high uh, metabolism, you've got a higher heartbeat usually. And that's the way I look at it. I think I picked this up from, uh, who is it? Vern Harnish. Vern Harnish. He talked about this in scaling up, but basically you got to have that quick heartbeat and you got to have the, you know, have the company going like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you have any like software or tools that you can't live without that helps you manage all of this? No, not really. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say live without. I do not like to be dependent on software, but there is software because it changes and you got to find different dynamics. But I will say that we we use Skype for mostly one on ones. We use Zoom for our group meetings. Uh, I like Zoom because I can see the video and I want it had it was more it was to me a lot better than we used to use GoToMeeting. And I, I did not like I'm very frustrated with GoToMeeting, but uh, Zoom very happy with. Uh, I use a piece of software called BrightPod and it's not, I never hear anyone talking about it. I think it's based out of India, but I loved it because it had a calendar function, which is a publisher. This was big that we had one calendar where everyone could go in and it only had our publishing schedule and nothing else. Um, and so we use this, you know, BrightPod works really well for us. And that's pretty much, uh, you know, it, I, I try to keep things really simple. We use Google Docs uh, still, you know, the, they're great for sharing, but they can get overly complicated. And, uh, you know, we do have company standard operating procedures. I make everyone create checklists of what they do. Uh, the incentive there is if you, everything you do is systemized, you can actually go on vacation uh, because somebody else can cover your job. You know, it's like little things like that are my incentives for getting people to do what I need them to do. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask about that because you seem to be, first of all, very family oriented. I know you have kids. And you spend a lot of time with them and you guys also travel quite a bit. And, uh, that seems to, you seem to be able to, you know, keep the place spinning while you're traveling and while you're hanging out with your family. So is, is that mostly just because at this point you've kind of got, uh, the system down? Yeah. You know, it's never down. It's constantly, everything changes. It's constantly evolving. Just it, it's, it's like your car, you know, once you get the car cleaned within a week or two, like somehow it got dirty. Because you live in it, you work in it, things happen. So you've got to constantly run that thing through the car wash. You've got to take it and clean it out yourself. Just because, just by stepping in, you bring in dirt off the floor. Just by eating in it, somehow, you know, a French fry gets stuck, you know, on, on the side, you know, near the, inside the bucket seat. So you have to, 
you know, this is something that's ongoing. It, it truly never does end. But then you realize, hey, I can bring in somebody who can manage the systems of the company at some point. Probably not, you know, I'm not at that point yet, but, mm-hmm. but I do expect to get there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, switching gears a tiny bit. And it's actually funny timing because today uh, you published a video that uh, I contributed to on your channel, and uh, at least at the you know the day that we're recording this. And um, you know it, it was cool because uh, you know it gave you a little bit of content, but also obviously gave me a lot of exposure because um, my channel is a little bit smaller. And I think that kind of speaks to your general philosophy uh, about. Uh, I think you call it blue ocean strategy. Um, yep. Which was like what an IBM concept. Uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of the, the rising tide floats all ships type mentality where you, you don't see people as competitors, but um, you know, you, you actively work together with and promote other YouTubers and content creators. So I know you've told this story a little bit or talked about this a little bit at the influential conference, but can you uh, talk about it a little bit? Yeah. The, the whole blue ocean thing, you know, it, it was two professors that wrote it. They wrote a whole book, but it really was wrapped up in a paper. So you can just do a quick Google search and find it. But the idea of it is that you can have a, like there's red oceans and blue oceans, red oceans. If you can imagine, there's a whole bunch of sharks fighting over, you know, very limited food and they're even attacking and killing each other. It's just a place you don't want to be. When on the other side is this big blue ocean. And for some reason, none of the sharks decide to go over to the other area where there's plentiful bounty. And it's just like, wow, like, and, and in fact, like once you go over into that blue ocean, you realize that there's plenty for all. And it would be great. In fact, you get lonely and you want to invite like select sharks over there so that you all can eat together and, you know, eventually, you know, grow and build up, you know, you know, it's just so many. And and this changes and it it moves And in every industry. There's a way to do something different that sets you apart from all the competition. And then you can cement your niche. And of course, things will change, they'll evolve. But as long as you keep approaching it with that mentality, you're always moving, finding the blue ocean. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that uh, that mentality. And it's, it's been really cool to see people uh, come together, to, to meet people who have been doing this for a long time at the uh, Menfluential, formerly a StyleCon conference, but then also to see people who get into that, you know, get into uh, blogging and YouTubing and content creation or, or starting a brand uh, and you meet them at, at the conference, you know, and then a couple of years later they have a business, you know, and, and they're, they're doing it full time. So, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of funny because at one point I was the, the noob, you know, I, I was the new guy and, you know, meeting you and Aaron and, and everybody. And, uh, now it's kind of cool to see some of the other newer guys, you know, making progress and, uh, and taking steps towards their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Actually you were there pretty early. I think you were, you attended VidCon with me and Aaron uh, pretty early on. So yeah, that was that first one in the, uh, the back room of a brewery. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and now it's, you, as you see, it just keeps growing every single year. I think we're approaching we're you know, God, we're, we're easily going to zero in on 350 people this year. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be good. So other than the conference, which is, you know, growing and something you you're actively involved in, what are you really excited about this year for the next couple of years with the real man, real style, or, you know, just anything else that you're doing in life? Trying to have a little bit more fun with the videos. Um, you know, so I'm, I think fun is something I'm trying to interject into the business. At the same time, I've got some challenges, you know, things are changing. And I felt that I systemized things to a point that 
And then I took some time off. I mean, I only I was traveling six months last year, uh, and and my business made more money than it's ever made. I made I made more money than I've ever made, and everything was good except that I I feel like I took my my eye off the of the road a bit, and now I've got to kind of correct it over because I can see that long term things are going to be changing, and I need to make sure that the car and make sure that everything's pointed in the right path. And, uh, and, and part of that also is, you know, upgrading, uh, my business and the way it's set up and looking to bring and create a team that is long-term sustainable. Ideally a team that I walk into the room and I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in there. I, I'm just simply kind of a fly on the wall being in awe of the team I've brought together and what they're able to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And, and do you think things are changing with the platforms or with the industry or, or in your life or, or I mean, um, any, any other details or thoughts on how, how the landscape is changing? Well, you know, it's, I would say that, you know, interaction, you know, emails, emails, email open rates are down. Uh, that I've seen that across, and I've talked to guys like Derek Halpern. I've talked to my friend Kelsey Bratcher, uh, you know, over two good two, two uh, I think it was Two Guns Solution, Two Guns Marketing. He, he was Infusionsoft Marketer of the Year. So seeing, you know, talking to these guys about what they're seeing there, uh, seeing that you know, you know, over, overall open rates and just engagement uh, for audiences hasn't uh, always worked out super well, or has gone down. Uh, you know, little things like that. I'm like, okay, I need to figure out new ways to better engage and to grow. And I've got personally, you know, it's like I have certain, I I view them as like problems, but I also view them as challenges. Like, how can I go in there and figure this out? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've noticed that too with uh, my email list. It's and I I was trying to figure it out. It's like, is it the topics that I'm covering or my subject lines or you know? But now it just seems like people are a little less interested in emails these days. I think that I think that you know what we're seeing is it's really reached a saturation point um, where people are just overwhelmed. There's too much out there, from videos to podcasts to every platform. So, what you've got to ask is that's the reality. What can I do to shake it off? To to break out of if I and I, I realize it, it's it's probably to become more remarkable. And you know, it used to be remarkable was nice. But now it's almost becoming mandatory. So there's still like I get emails from Seth Godin. I still read every one because his emails are remarkable. Uh, you know, there's certain people who I continue to stay in touch with and follow because they are that good. And that's what I'm realizing that if I want to stay on top, I've got to become that good. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Are, are there anybody? Is there anybody else like Seth Godin who you really look up to and and follow? Uh, consistently and that maybe you'd recommend other people uh, look to for advice? Well, if they're a business owner, definitely go check out Andrew Warner over at Mixergy. His stuff is amazing and he interviews just all these great uh, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, there's, I, I was just actually talking with uh, Yaro Stark. Um, you know, he's out in Hawaii right now and, you know, he's been doing this online thing for 20 years and he, he runs Entrepreneur's Journey, amazing uh, guy. And, what I, you know, talking with him, uh, we were at a conference in London together and it's just interesting because he's, he's been doing this for 20 years online and he's very, had very, very successful. Uh, but for him, it, he watches these trends and these 
it, things go in, in cycles. And he's already seen three cycles. There is the Internet 1.0, the Internet 2.0, and now we're kind of going into a new one. And you're seeing what was new or what was old is now new again. And it's like things are reinvented, but in a different way. And you see some people go under and you never they never really regain their footing. Other people are very good at recreating themselves and kind of popping up there. So I plan on being one of those guys that's very good at recreating himself. I had some success with Internet 2.0 and I'm looking at with Internet 3.0 being really at an even higher part in this wave that's going to be happening. Nice. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, we're excited to see what you do with the business and everything else going forward. And we'll link to all of your various uh, properties in the show notes. But where, where should people go if they want to get to know you? Just type in Real Men, Real Style or Antonio Centeno. They'll find me. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Good, good to talk to you, Brock. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.